Hi, this is Chad Barr, and I'm the president of CB Software Systems and the Chad Barr Group. And welcome to my interview series, Raising the Bar, where actually I get to interview some of my favorite thought leaders out there. And today, I'm very pleased to introduce one of my favorite people, Colleen Francis. Driven by passion for sales and results, and she's a successful sales leader for over 20 years and understands the challenges of selling in today's market and that business leaders can no longer rely on approaches to sales that are based on techniques from probably decades ago. Colleen helps businesses and sales leaders assemble their dream teams to exponentially grow their business and market opportunities. The remarkable result that she has created over the years for her clients attracted organizations such as Merck, Abbott, Merrill Lynch, Royal Bank of Canada, Dow Ergo Sciences, ADECO, Trendmicro, UBM, and over 1,000 other leading organizations. Colleen also has been distinguished as a certified sales professional, also known as CSP. She's a press president of the Canadian Association of Professional Speakers and is a member of the Canadian Speaking Hall of Fame. Sales and Marketing Magazine has actually referred to Colleen and her company, Engage Selling, as one of the top five most effective sales training organizations in the market today. Welcome, Colleen. Thanks so much for having me. Great to be here with you. I have quite a few questions to ask you today, so let's start with a simple one. What do you feel are some of the top challenges that are facing sales leaders today? Oh, well, I think that there are three challenges facing sales leaders today. One is that sales leaders are facing an unprecedented attrition of their top performers. It's not uncommon for sales leaders to have their bottom performers leaving, but top performers are leaving and it's become apparent to them, the leaders that is, that it's not because of the money. So that's a huge challenge that leaders are facing. Um, also, a second challenge is that they're facing these boom and bust revenue cycles. And it's frustrating for sales leaders because what they see is that while they're busting, in other words, while their sales are dropping, their competition sales are increasing. So they realize that it is artificially created. It's not market created, but they're struggling to try to create a steady state of revenue growth. And then I think the third challenge that they're facing, they may not know this one yet, or they may not have been able to put their finger on it, but they know that their client's buying behavior is changing or changed. And their organizations and their teams and their sales processes are not set up to leverage this change. And so they have old style selling skills in a new style buying market. So with these challenges in mind, what are your top recommendations on how can they go about resolving those challenges? Well, the first thing we have to remember is that sales leaders have to be recruiting all the time. So if you think back to um, everyone's favorite sales movie, Glengarry Glen Ross, the um, iconic challenge was always be closing ABC. And I believe that sales leaders need to be ABR, always be recruiting, because you have to build that bench strength. You have to get rid of your bottom performers quickly and hire the best and fire the rest. It's not acceptable in this marketplace to continue to coach your bottom performers because they're just not ever going to change. I think, too, it's really important that sales leaders balance the team's approach so they're not over-focusing on one area of client engagement. So typically, a sales leader will say, close, 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 close. And when they do that, 
the sales team doesn't attract any new prospects into the top end of the sales funnel. And as a result, they're creating these boom bust cycles. I think too, we need to stop thinking about closing as the signing of the contract and start thinking about closing instead as when the customer is enabled or using the product and keep the sales team engaged through that enablement or implementation process so that they're in a better position to help grow that customer and leverage that customer. We have to look at the new buying process and realize that in this marketplace, we're not really selling anything. We're helping to facilitate a buying decision. And if sales teams could get in alignment with the way their customers buy, they would sell more in less time and at a much higher profit. I like that. Two key takeaways from what you just said. Number one, which is very applicable for me and my business and my clients, always be recruiting. And the other thing, close on the actual use of the product, not on the sale itself, if I get this right. Yeah, too many salespeople fire and forget. So they sign the contract and then they, they leave the customer hanging and go on to sell someone new because they're distracted by the bright, shiny objects, you know, that a new prospect is. And as a result, the implementation team is left to handle the client. Now, you might have a great implementation team, but the client feels a little bit left out on a limb. And then the salesperson, because they've ignored this customer through the onboarding and engagement process, doesn't really have the leverage they need to cross-sell and upsell them, ask for referrals, get case studies and testimonials. That's great. You've been fortunate to work with some of the most successful organizations in the world. I'm curious about your take on what do you see are the attributes of the most successful organization and actually their sales leaders as well? Well, first from a sales leader perspective, what we notice is that their sales leaders are very strong coaches. They're not hands off. You know, I believe that top performers need to be micromanaged. If we look to the sporting world for inspiration, because professional sports stars are coached, right? People will say to me, oh, on a sales team, the best performers or the long-term veterans, they don't have to be coached. They don't like to be micromanaged. And I say to them, you know, let's look at a hockey team. Or let's look at the pro golf circuit. The guys who are on the tour who are senior and top performers are micromanaged or micro-coached to within an inch of their lives. The top performers are the ones who have four coaches instead of one. The old guys on the team are the ones who show up early to practice and stay late, which is one of the reasons why they're still playing at, you know, 42 when all the rest of the team members are 25. <laughs> so I think we have to take that lesson to our sales teams and remember that as a leader, your job is to get the best out of all of the players on your team. And you have the most power to move the bar forward by coaching your top performers to even better success. So the top sales leaders coach, they use the numbers. They have a very rigorous sales pipeline and sales funnel that they coach to. So they're coaching based on objectivity, not subjectivity. They also are recruiting all the time and they're not afraid to get rid of people quickly. I worked with a top performing sales team at the Royal Bank of Canada and their sales VP was unapologetic about the fact that if after 30 or 60 days she could tell someone wasn't going to make it, she just moved them out of the organization. It wasn't a personal affront or it wasn't a personal attack. It just wasn't the right fit for neither the seller nor the organization. So we moved them out because it was never going to be a fit. And that's better for everybody. 
Because the longer that a bottom performer stays in an organization, the more at risk your top performers um, become because they don't want to get dragged into that pity party of poor performance. So if I hear you correctly, you're suggesting that the best out there are micromanaging and micro-coaching their teams. How do you then balance that versus giving your dream team the right autonomy to become creative, innovative, and do the right job? Well, the two aren't mutually exclusive. You can coach rigorously and still have creativity on the team, and you can coach rigorously and still have autonomy because coaching is not going out there and selling for your team. Rigorous coaching is making sure that you spend three hours a month or more with the team reviewing pipelines, doing one-on-one call reviews. So that's only 45 minutes a week per person. That's what I mean by rigorous coaching. So it doesn't mean you have to be with somebody eight hours a day, five days a week, (laughs) um, four weeks a month. And in fact, you're going to find a more creative sales team if you get with them one-on-one and ask them questions and push them. How can we close this deal? Why won't this close now? What decision makers do you need to meet? What value do we need to create? When reviewing and talking to a lot of my clients and businesses out there, I see that still many organizations are actually operating in a survival mode. How do you help change your client's mindset from surviving to actually thriving? That is a great question because you're, you're right, it is a mindset. And that mindset is hard to create if you are barely hitting your sales targets. As soon as a person or a company, a team starts hitting their sales targets, then it's easy to change your mindset to thriving. So a couple of things I think are important. One, make sure you're setting goals across the whole organization for individuals and different KPIs. Create success in the organization other than just by measuring revenue. So I would create some leading indicator KPIs around calls, meetings, referrals, opportunities created, as well as some lagging indicator KPIs such as revenue attainment. And then I would measure against those pipeline building or leading indicator KPIs so that you can show some success early on. Because if your team is in a bit of a slump, or if you have had a bust period of revenue, it can take some time to build out of that. But you need the team to have a thriving mentality in order to grow out of that bust period. And so you've got to create some short-term successes. I think, too, when you break your goals down and say, okay, yes, you have a $2 million sales target, but that is you know, 10 sales, or that is 30 contracts, and the number is smaller than 2 million, that helps to create some mindset changes as well. I think the coaching is helpful. I think getting um, the team some external validation, external training, show them that you're interested in investing in them can also be um, a great way to help change their mindset. We talked earlier about micromanaging, micro-coaching versus allowing the sales team to have the right autonomy. Perhaps that segue to another question that crossed my mind here. And that is, I believe that most sales goals and quotas are set extrinsically. Yet studies have shown that the best successes are actually achieved when set intrinsically. Yeah. So how do you suggest organizations adapt and leverage this mindset? Uh, That's good. You know, I had a sales leader ask me once in a seminar, how do I get my team to buy into our goals? And I said, you have to make them their goals. 
it is true, you know, this is hard for publicly traded companies because their company revenue targets are set by the analysts. And so then the C-level suite has to say, okay, the analysts say we can do 24 million this year, so we got to funnel that down. So what you have to do as an organization is if the goal is given to you, let's say as a sales leader in a VP sales, you're told, well, guys, you have to do 4 million this year as a team because that's what the analysts said we could do then you need to break that out by everyone on the team and you need to sit down with them and run through it and help them make it their own. Now, hopefully you've got some people on the team who look at it and say, hey, that's easy. My personal target is actually going to be one and a half times that. And so that's great. Some people will look at it and think, oh, that's going to be tough. And so what you have to do is work backwards with them to show them you know, what the behavior is, but also show them how doing those behaviors will lead to their income. Because of course, even if the salesperson says to you, wow, a $1 million target is going to be tough for me this year, of course, they want to hit it because they want to earn the commission and the bonus associated with it. So if you can walk backwards with them and say, okay, here's how we're going to hit the million dollars, X number of calls a day, X number of contracts a month, X number of referrals, and create a very granular plan for them that they can buy into and say, hey, I can make those 10 calls a day then you get that intrinsic motivation for the extrinsically set target. I like that. You work with some global organization out there mm -hmm. and you travel the world extensively. So from this work with both global organization and traveling extensively, what have you seen as some of the business trends that are actually impacting the sales world? Well, information online, of course. Because even 10 years ago, but 20 years ago, for sure, and there's a lot of people, including myself, who've been selling for 20 years or longer, you couldn't go online and research products and services in the areas that you wanted to buy from all over the world, or even have choices to buy products all over the world. So a lot of traditional industries in the US are facing what they couldn't even conceive of 10 years ago being a competitor because they're making parts, say, for example, tools, dyes, parts. They can be bought in China as easily as they can be bought in the US. So this increased competition, both local and international, is very, very difficult for a lot of companies to deal with because they're not used to having to sell against those companies and really showcase their value. The other big thing for companies is the increase in education the buyers have. So because there is this content on the web that helps with education of the buyers, buyers are really well informed and they come to you as a seller thinking that they know exactly what they want. And we have to sort of wade through that. Do they really know what they want? Where did they get that information? Who's been influencing them? Are they a competitor? How do you tell the customer that what they say they want might not be really what's best for them? <laughs> so that access to information is crazy. It seems to me when an organization focuses on assembling and nurturing their dream team, an expression I really like to use, that the key elements to actually creating and nurturing a dream team follows the following three attributes. Number one, skills, passion, and alignment of strategy and tactics. What are your thoughts on this? Well, I think passion is important. Um, passion or enthusiasm, because it's hard to train that. Passion is a difficult word because you might find someone on your team that you want to recruit that isn't passionate yet about what you do because they've never worked for you, but they are enthusiastic. 
So we do want to hire for enthusiasm and then make sure that they gain passion about our products and services. And the reason why that's so important is because it creates resilience. When someone is unabashedly passionate or enthusiastic about the value they bring to the marketplace through your company, then they're resilient to all the no's that they get from prospects who aren't ready to buy yet. Without that enthusiasm, the first few times they hear no, they're going to crawl under a rock and never want to make a call again. So skills are important, but skills are something that can be learned. These days, the smartest leaders aren't hiring based on skills in the industry or skills because they've got a good Rolodex, but they are hiring on the ability to learn new skills and integrate them quickly into their own selling environment. So being coachable is really critical because someone could have a skill in a certain area. Maybe they are very, very good at a certain sales skill, but if they're not able to change what they're doing, change their skills, then that's very damaging. And then, of course, alignment of strategy and tactics, I think you said. Yeah, they have to be able to align the right tactics to actually execute the strategy. <laughs> Absolutely. First of all, I love the whole concept of sales and you're sharing some great tips here for organizations and I believe that also are applicable to entrepreneurs and uh, others out there. But another topic that is dear to my heart is the whole aspect of technology, the internet, the web, or as I refer to it as the web presence. So if we look at those elements, I see technology and the web as both the great enabler, but you and I had a discussion or several discussions in the past where actually it could also become the great disabler. So, <laughs> so let's, I let, love that. <laughs> so let's talk about it. What, what's your viewpoint from a technology perspective? How do you have your sales force balance the right attributes between enabling and disabling themselves? Well, nothing beats meeting with the buyer. There's just nothing more effective than actually getting out and talking to a buyer face-to-face. -face. As leaders, we have to make sure that our teams aren't confusing efficiency for effectiveness. Technology is great at efficiency. Um, we can send 100 emails in, you know, a click of one button. We can send a bunch of texts. We can leave a bunch of voicemails. But it's not an effective way to sell. Sales leaders will analyze the types of behaviors that a salesperson is doing, what are the activities that they're doing, and make sure that they do have this balance, because you just are not going to sell products as effectively if you're not talking to buyers. And so I often will tell organizations, maybe they need to go on a technology diet for a few hours or a few days where we pick up the phone and actually talk to people <laughs> for a change. <laughs> Or stop, you know, sending a text or stop sending an email and actually go out and meet some people face to face. I like this concept of technology <laughs> diet. That's great. Yeah. We worked with an organization a few years ago who couldn't grow their business past the $45 million mark and they didn't know what the problem was. And they brought us in because they said they needed, you know, quote unquote, sales training. And what we realized is the team was exceptionally good at selling. They just weren't doing it enough. They were getting too bogged down in thinking that sending emails was selling. And so when we shut off internet access for a couple of hours a day, I think the time frame was from like 9 to 11 and 1.30 to 3.30. This was an inside sales team. So they had four hours to spend on the phone. Their sales went from like 40, 45 million to $60 million in 12 months without adding a single person or enhancing a single skill level. All we did was get them on the phone talking to buyers more often. And we know in sales that the more buyers you talk to, the more often, the more sales you're going to make.
Let me segue to another area here. You've been in the area of sales, helping organization for over 20 years. And obviously, I'm sure you've seen some trends, you've seen different ways of doing things, and I know that you preach about the different ways of doing things. Here's my question. How do you believe the sales profession has changed over the years? And especially, where do you see it going in the next several years? Well, I think that salespeople now more than ever have to be experts. Um, it's not good enough to be just a salesperson anymore because buyers want to buy from experts. It's how we develop trust. And as buyers are becoming more and more involved and there's less of them out there, and as the buying process becomes more complex, they're going to rely on people who are experts in their field or experts in helping you solve problems more than they are on salespeople. So salespeople have to become content providers. They have to become the thought leaders for their company inside the industries that they sell in. I also believe that features and benefits are dead and that we need to stop talking about the benefits of a product to a customer and start talking instead about the value that the product brings or the results that the product brings to the organization in terms of return on investment. Now, that doesn't just have to be dollar investment. That could be return on time investment or return on energy investment. But we do have to start defining what the client is looking for in terms of their objectives and how we can add value to the organization by meeting or exceeding those objectives. This is great. Before I end here, one other question left for me to ask you, and that is, I would love for you to talk a little bit about your journey of becoming a sales thought leader. And why do you feel organizations should leverage an outside expert such as you and not try to do it in-house with their internal resources? Well, I started my business 13 years ago because I'm really passionate about helping organizations grow and differentiate themselves in the market. I think most businesses, big and small, make their sales process way too complex and they create client repellent systems inadvertently because they're not paying attention to what's going on in the marketplace. The reason why I think companies need to hire outside experts, not just in sales, but also to help them in other areas, is because they tend to have a pretty myopic view based on their experience of what's going on in the marketplace. And they get into the ruts of doing the same things over and over again. They also tend to look at their competition and the companies selling in their market space and say, oh, well, if competitor A is doing it that way and having success, we should too. And what happens when all you do is copy each other in a marketplace, you look, act and sound the same as all your competitors, and then the client can only differentiate based on price. So I think that outside influence or that fresh set of eyes who can come into one industry and say, hey, you're in the agronomy industry, you know, this is what they're doing in banking and it works really well. And then have you be the first company in your industry to try that. That helps you to differentiate, gives your business a real fresh approach to the marketplace that will drive sales up. And for those who are listening to this podcast and want to be able to contact you easily, what are some of the best ways to contact you? The best way is to visit our website, engageselling.com. You have access to a host of resources there. And you can contact us, of course, by email at colleen at engagedselling.com. So there you have it. You now know why Colleen Francis is one of my favorite people. <laughs> Thanks, Chad. <laughs> I hope this was of help to those of you who are listening to this podcast. And uh, we both encourage you, go forth and raise the bar in your business. Thank you for listening.